You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. It's funny how the internet brings people together. Last night, I went to bed not knowing who Brooklyn Wilson was, but by the time I got to work this morning, Brooklyn Wilson was my new favorite person, thanks to the internet, thanks to a blog post that Hemant Mata wrote about her at patheos.com, where he blogs as the friendly atheist. Brooklyn is a student at Jenks High School in Jenks, Oklahoma. It's a public school, and that matters, and Brooklyn is a senior there. And the entire senior class was herded into an auditorium for a sex education program. And Brooklyn was appalled by what she heard, appalled by what she was told at that program. Things like boys are waffles, able to compartmentalize sex the way waffles can compartmentalize butter in one indentation and syrup in another. But girls, girls are different. Girls are spaghetti. Sex gets all mixed up with everything else, like your feels and stuff. Brooklyn, angry and annoyed, and rightly so, took to Facebook. So today our school decided to have a sex ed class given to the entire senior class, Brooklyn wrote. As usual, this sex ed class was based around the idea of abstinence, both a clearly unrealistic and ineffective approach to teaching safe sex. I'm going to interrupt Brooklyn right here to say, you're absolutely right, Brooklyn, 95% of Students, kids don't wait for marriage to become sexually active and research over and over and over again, stacks and stacks of research has demonstrated that abstinence education not only doesn't work, kids don't wait, it backfires. Kids who've had only abstinence only education are likelier to contract a sexually transmitted infection and likelier to have an unplanned pregnancy. Back to Brooklyn's post. However, on top of the usual disappointed, today a line was crossed. A direct quote from the presentation, do you know why girls are so desperate and always text guys first? Two words, daddy left. I am disgusted. Me too, Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn, though. I am disgusted, Brooklyn writes. How dare our school allow a statement so demeaning to girls and so belittling of broken families to be presented to a class of such impressionable seniors. Daddy leaving is a life-changing and heartbreaking situation, but to stereotype and undermine girls by calling them desperate for having the confidence to text a guy first, so out of line, all caps. Right the fuck on, Brooklyn. You are my favorite person in the world today, and yesterday I didn't even know who you were. Brooklyn also posted a picture of one of the slides the so-called educator used during her presentation that said, boys are microwave ovens and girls are crockpots. Boys, microwave ovens, quick to heat up. Girls, crockpots, slow to heat up. Brooklyn captioned the picture, all caps, with, Your body is not, nor should be, compared to a kitchen appliance. Right you are, Brooklyn. This educator, some right-wing Christian dingbat named Shelley Donahue, also trotted out the argument that girls who are sexually active before marriage can and should, quote-unquote, renew their virginities. Because if you don't arrive at marriage, the marital bed, with your virginity intact or renewed somehow, you are lacking. You are not worthy. You are damaged in some way. Brooklyn's post got shared hundreds and then thousands of times on Facebook and Brooklyn School announced they will no longer invite this so-called educator 
back to school to give programs. Check out this bullshit claim from the administrators at Jenks High School. The presenter gave assurances to our administrators that her presentation would be secular, not religious. Regrettably, she did not adhere to those standards. And yet it took Brooklyn pointing it out on Facebook in the post going viral for the administrators who were presumably there for the presentation to realize that the presentation was a problem. They should have known she wasn't adhering to those standards before Brooklyn got home to write that Facebook post. And she should have been yanked before the Facebook post went viral. Embarrassing. Jenks High School. But she's banned now. Hopefully they don't find somebody else just as bad or worse for next year. She's banned now and Brooklyn deserves the credit. So credit to Brooklyn. We talked over the years about abstinence education. What a disaster it's been. We have spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the last two decades on this failing program, which really should be called the Dan Savage Full Employment Program because The more poorly educated American young people are, the longer I'm going to be in business with my sex advice column and my goopy podcast. In 2016, Obama sought finally to end all federal funding for abstinence education. But Congress passed a continuing funding resolution at the end of 2016, maintaining funding at current levels into the new year. That would be this year and allowing the Trump administration to make a decision about funding for abstinence education going forward. They're going to gut funding for Meals on Wheels, the National Institutes of Health. They're going to defund Planned Parenthood and PBS. No word yet on what's going to happen to abstinence-only funding under Trump. But with Mike Pence, who thinks we should spend HIV education dollars on ex-gay conversion therapy programs, including electroshock treatments, you can bet that those bigots are really likely to open that spigot all over again, which is what's so important and inspiring about what Brooklyn Wilson did. She spoke the fuck up. She shamed not the funders in Congress or state legislatures who are so hard to shame on these issues. She shamed the administrators at her school, and they have backed the fuck down. Good for you, Brooklyn, my new favorite person in the world as of today. Another one of my new favorite people, Minda Honey, advice columnist for Leo Weekly, who joins us on the podcast for Second Opinion, plus tons of your questions and lots of my answers all coming up. Hey, Dan. Uh, mid-30s, East Coast. I guess straight male calling in. I got a question about transsexuals. So I'm definitely into transsexuals and, uh, you know, like female, uh, male to female. But it's really interesting, my attraction. Like, I like the fact that I know that there's a penis there, but I don't want anything to do with the penis. And as far as, like, positioning and stuff, like, I only want to be able to see the ass. You know, like doggy style, uh, reverse cowgirl, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to see the penis or interact with the penis whatsoever, but I like knowing that that it's there. I don't know. Like I would prefer a pre-op to a post-op, I think. And it's kind of, it's kind of odd. Like I don't really understand it. And I'm, I'm pretty open, like sexually, you know, I'm not worried about being gay about it or anything like that. I, in essence, I identify as a straight male because again, like with the transsexual, I would never I would never want to interact with, with the, the genitals. Uh, so it's not so much, I'm not asking you this about with concern to my sexual orientation. It's just like, I'm curious to know why it is that, that I like the, the fact that I know that the penis is there, but that I don't want anything to do with it. And that if I could have do away with it, I like wouldn't necessarily want to, but at the same time, <laughs> I don't want to interact. It's so odd to me. Like, I don't really understand it. I just know I'm into it. 
So basically, you feel about the penis on a trans woman the same way so many straight guys seem to feel about the clitoris on a cisgendered woman. Nice to know it's there. Don't want to look at it. Don't want to pay any attention to it. Couldn't really give a shit about it. But like to know it's there. Uh, I don't know what's up with you. That's very interesting. There are definitely trans women out there, and it sounds like you've encountered some, who are willing to do what it is that you require, who prefer to do what it is that you require, to de-emphasize their penises, any attention paid to their penises, in the case of some trans women, not all, and I don't think the majority, but trans women, some of them who haven't had bottom surgery, often don't want a, a partner to interact with their, what still may read to them as male genitalia and induce gender dysphoria if somebody pays attention to it or appreciates them for it. Now, lots of other trans women who've kept their penises feel differently and a lot of their partners feel very differently. But this is how you feel and this is how you roll. And that makes you a very good partner for those trans women who haven't had bottom surgery and would rather not have their penis in play or regarded at all. What's going on with your brain when you would prefer to have a partner, a trans woman partner who has a penis that you don't see, but you want to know it's there, but you don't want to look at it? I don't know. It's very interesting, but I couldn't tell you. But there's something about it clearly that works for you, that turns you on. I don't know how many trans women you've been with, but maybe this is the slow tiptoe up to interacting with the penis. Maybe right now where you're at, to turn on to know the penis is there, but you don't want to see it or regard it or touch it or interact with it in any way. Who knows how you'll feel in a few more years about your trans female partner's genitals. Hey, Dan. Straight guy in a large city in the Northeast. I uh, have a rather large cock and it's not, not the biggest around. It's not absolutely enormous. I think women are being slightly generous when they say giant. That's fine. But I've been to enough sex parties and a whole lot of people comment on it. It's somewhat above average. Okay. There's other men around with cocks that are smaller. Some of them are bigger, whatever. Totally fine. Strange thing is that I was it at one of these parties and I happened to have my clothes on and the subject of my dick came up and a woman said, Hey, uh, can I see it? And I said, okay. So I pulled it out. I showed it to her at that moment. It happened to have been as small as it ever gets. And for me, that's pretty small. Uh, so she looked at it, glanced at it kind of very quickly was like, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's all I need. And looked a little surprisingly disappointed. And so the funny thing about it is that I think she just doesn't really know that the whole grower versus shower phenomenon. So there's like people that have really small dicks when they're soft and they have really small dicks when they're hard. And there are people with giant dicks when they're soft that get really even bigger when they're hard. And then there's the whole, the both of the opposites. There's people who have really small dicks when they're soft and they get pretty damn big. And then, which is, which is me. And then there's people that, you know, have really big dicks when they're soft and they get like a tiny little bit bigger um, or, you know, all the variations, I guess. So she doesn't know it. There's a number of women that I've met that don't know that that thing happens. And some people do. What I'm curious about is, is this common? And like, do people know this? Do gay men know this? I mean, they're talking about each other's dicks, texting all each other all the time. Uh, what is, this is this common knowledge and why isn't it what the hell okay thanks it's midday we're recording in the middle of the afternoon and i have yet to receive a single text message from any of my gay friends talking about their dicks or showing me 
pictures of their decks. So I'm a little disappointed if that's how it works. If all the other gay men in the world are constantly talking with each other and texting with each other about their dicks, I want to know how come my gay friends are leaving me out of that conversation. Uh, yeah, that doesn't actually happen. Gay men talk about all sorts of things. A lot of gay men I know, a lot of gay men I know personally, we text each other all day long about politics, not about our dicks, but sometimes about our dicks, just not always about our dicks. Gay men, sometimes we think about things other than dicks. Just wanted to get that on the record. Growers versus showers. Yeah, that is a thing, and it is generally common knowledge. You seem concerned that there's a woman out there, a woman running loose, who thinks that your penis isn't really all that big, not what it was cracked up to be, that didn't live up to the hype. And let's game this out. Why does this concern you so much? Well, you might get a reputation in your sex-positive circles for having an average dick because she, when she saw your dick, was surprisingly disappointed by it. But look on the bright side. If she's a blabbermouth, if she's out there right now texting with all of her friends, all of her straight friends, texting away about your dick as straight people generally do text all day long about dicks, if you should wind up at a sex party or in bed with one of these people who have heard about your dick and heard it isn't all that and not that impressive, instead of being surprisingly disappointed when they see your hard dick, they are going to be pleasantly surprised. It is better in many areas of our lives to exceed expectations than to fall short of them. So some people expecting you to not have as big a dick as you do, you can turn that to your benefit. Hi, I am a 28-year-old straight woman. And I do this thing where I bike to work and then I change in our staff bathroom, which um, everybody has a key to, all the staff have a key to. And I forgot to lock it the other morning while I was changing. So the occupied switch wasn't flipped and somebody opened the door while I was mostly naked and it cracked the door. I didn't see them. I think they saw me. And I don't know who it was. I have a guess about who it was um, based on the way that his behavior towards me has changed. And my question is, I don't want to raise it. I don't want to be like, hey, I think you saw me naked. And I want you to know that it's fine. It's a guy that I really like, super decent person. I don't want to raise it because I think that'll make it more awkward, but I'm worried about like just letting this relationship drift away. Is there a thing I can do to make this better or to like send him a signal like, hey, if it was you, it's okay. It's It was my accident for not locking the door and I don't want there to be awkwardness between us or is it just a thing that I have to let go if I'm not willing to? Bring it up. Sometimes I'm surprised by what people need my help with because what you need to do here seems rather obvious. You go to him and say, was that you at the door the other day? And he's not going to know which door or which day you're talking about if he wasn't the person at the door the other day. If he was the person at the door the other day, he's probably going to be embarrassed and stammer a bit and apologize. And you just have to say, hey, it's totally okay. It was my bad for leaving the door open. I'm really sorry about that. Awkward, let's put it behind us. And then it's behind you right now because you haven't directly addressed this potential awkwardness for fear of creating more awkwardness. It's fucking awkward. That's why he's being weird around you and pulling away from you, perhaps. So just go and say, was that you at the door the other day? And if he says yes, and I think he's going to, you say, oh, my bad, really sorry. I'm going to be more careful about locking the door in the future. Ah, Now let's stuff this down the memory hole. Hey, Dan, I have a question about adult stores. And namely, how the fuck they're possibly still in business. 
And I wonder, is there something going on at adult stores that I'm not privy to? For example, like, are people not just buying sex toys and DVDs at them? Like, are people having sex at them or something? And I ask this just because in a world where Best Buys are closing, how the fuck could an adult store, like, possibly make it when you could just buy all of that stuff online? Um, and I'm not talking about your local awesome sex shop. I'm talking about the dime a dozen adult mega stores that litter the interstate. So I wonder, like, is there something happening at those that I don't know about um, that that would keep people coming in the door, even though there's free porn everywhere and you can get sex toys on Amazon? According to the best estimates, 13% of Americans don't use the internet at all, and an even larger chunk of Americans have intermittent or spotty or only occasional access to the internet. So your solution to everyone out there who needs porn or sex toys, that they should just order them online, isn't going to work for everybody. There And there are 325,817,750, sorry, 51, I'm looking at a live feed of the American population and it's growing. There's 325 million Americans. So 13 to 20-ish percent of Americans who don't have access to the internet, that's tens of millions of people. There will be a significant chunk of those tens of millions of people who are interested in pornography, who want to own sex toys, who aren't going to order it on Amazon or rip it off on any of the dirty porn tubes out there. They are going to toddle on down to the sex superstore along the interstate and buy. Also, and I hope this isn't shattering news for anyone out there, sometimes people go to those dirty bookstores to look for people to have sex with. Sometimes closeted people like to go to those dirty bookstores along the interstate to have sex with priests in the dark rooms at the back that some of them have, not all of them have, but many of them do. So they don't just serve the function of providing porn and sex toys. They sometimes serve the function of providing real life, in the moment, actual physical human contact for folks who have a hard time finding it any other way. Hey, Dan. Um, I am 26, female, married in Colorado, and I am calling because I need some advice or some guidance. I'm 30 weeks pregnant, and my husband and I have been together for almost 10 years, um, and he just refuses to have sex with me. Um, he keeps saying that he feels uncomfortable because the baby is moving, and it just makes him feel kind of weird and I keep explaining to him that she's in her own like compartmentalized location, um, but he just refuses. And I'm kind of pissed off because I still have like two more months to go and he hasn't put out. Um, so I'm wondering what can I do to make him feel more comfortable or if, you know, his concerns are totally valid and I should respect to respect them. Um, I've asked him about other possibilities like, you know, oral sex or whatever, but he still doesn't feel comfortable with even that, uh, with me doing it to him or him doing it to me. And so I'm really kind of at a loss. I don't know if I should just deal with it and, you know, not have sex or what other areas I can explore. I really appreciate your advice. I've discussed on this show before a journal that my mother kept while she was pregnant. She kept a journal while she was pregnant with each of her four children. And then when we were adults, she gave us those journals as a gift. So we would know that what she was thinking about and feeling while she was carrying us. And I was delighted to have this and delighted to read it until I got to all of the different items, all of the different entries where she mentioned that 
while she was pregnant with me, my dad was having sex with her, that they were still having sex and it was great sex and loving sex and fun sex. And I read that going, oh my God, I'm in there. Oh my God. Oh my God. You wonder why I turned out to be gay when I grew up? Maybe because I was floating in a puddle of my father's cum for nine months. Maybe that's why I'm gay when I grew up. Uh, So I want to speak on behalf of neither you nor your husband, but that fetus, that little person who's inside you. Maybe they would prefer for your husband to stay the fuck out of there while they're in there. That said... Who will speak for the feti? I will speak for the feti. That said, you know, some women feel super sexy when they're pregnant and want to have sex. And and I think you're one of those women. Some women don't. Some women don't feel sexy at all while they're pregnant. They feel uncomfortable. Um, Their breasts are sore. And they just don't feel like having sex. They do not want to have sex. And I would never tell a woman who was pregnant, who was six, seven eight months pregnant and not feeling sexy that she had to have sex with her husband because he was attracted to her because he was horny and she should just go ahead and have sex with her husband anyway, even though she's totally not feeling it. Now, maybe she could come through with a hand job or a blowjob or whatever, some masturbatory assistance, masturbatory aid, but I don't think she has to have sex with him. And I don't feel comfortable ordering your husband to have sex with you at this moment when you're pregnant and he's not feeling it. Maybe he's genuinely squicked out by the presence of this other person. To me, that seems legitimately potentially squicky. I don't think it would be potentially squicky for me if I was a heterosexual, but I could see why a straight guy might feel uncomfortable having penetrative vaginal intercourse with his wife at a moment when the baby's kicking or rolling around or in there. I could see why for some that would be a threes a crowd kind of squickathon. Perhaps your husband needs to interrogate that, as the college kids might say. Maybe he needs to unpack it with a therapist. Maybe with months or years of intense work with a therapist or a counselor, he can get past this, that he can come to a deeper and greater understanding of your body's reproductive potential and its beauty at that moment. But by the time he gets past it, you are not going to be pregnant anymore. So perhaps the work, while it could be done, it would be futile to attempt it. And so for the next six to eight weeks, masturbate together, lay together, be intimate, hold each other. Maybe he can hold the vibrator. Maybe there's other ways he can help you. But there's something you don't want to hold on to. You don't want to hold on to resentment about this. You're at this impasse. There's a libido killing thing hanging over your sex life. You're frustrated. You're horny. Solo sex is also an option at a moment like this. And you have to, for the good of your relationship and for the good of your kid, you might have to give your husband a pass on this in the end. Once you've bounced back, once that kid is out of there, if you hold on to the anger about how he wasn't capable of being intimate with you at this time that you wanted to be intimate, it could poison your sex life going forward. And that would not be in your best interest, not in the best interest of your relationship, and not in the best interests of this kid that you are bringing into your family. And congratulations. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling on behalf of my friend, who's a 23-year-old straight female living in New York City. I'm going to read it like it's coming from her. Um, I've been seeing this this 28-year-old guy I met on Tinder for the last couple of weeks. He's cute and sweet, and I like being around him, but I'm unclear as to how I truly feel about him. I've been taking things slow with him because I usually jump into my Tinder relationships quickly and that hasn't really worked out in the past. 
this weekend we were hooking up and I went down on him in the dark. The next morning I kind of went to do the same thing again and noticed a blister-like bubble on the tip of his penis, which I did not notice last night. He said it was a cyst that he's had since he was a child. Doctors have seen it and they say it's benign and can be removed. He also said no other girls have pointed it out before, which makes no sense to me. I tried to hide it from him, but I was secretly freaking out on the inside. Um, I'm not sure what to do, so I have a couple of questions for you. Um, one, what's the deal with benign cysts on penis tips? Should I be worried this is an STD and would have any negative effects on me? Two, should I tell him I don't want to have sex with him after this, even if it is benign? I don't understand why he hasn't had it removed yet, um, but I would feel bad if he removed it from me and then things didn't work out. Or three, am I being totally superficial about this and am I the problem and just need to get over it? After a few minutes Googling, I am now an expert on penile cysts, which according to this page are uncommon lesions in general. They are asymptomatic and do not interfere with sexual function. Could indeed be a cyst. They can be removed. There can be surgical interventions to hack those cysts off. Removing them, though, can leave scarring. So some people prefer to roll with the cyst than to have the cyst carved off their dicks by a helpful doctor. She can ask him more questions. I think that's straight up legitimate. Ask him more questions about the cyst. If the next time she sees his penis, it's gone or it's a scab, then perhaps it was a lesion of some other sort, a more concerning sort. Perhaps it was herpes and he vamped and said it was a cyst. Only one way to find out, though. Look at that dick. Look at that dick again. But since they are benign and they do not interfere with sexual function and any sort of surgical procedure or intervention risks some side effects, I don't think it's fair of your friend to insist that this man have the cyst, benign as it may be, removed for aesthetic reasons. So love him, love his cyst. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s woman living in the Bay Area. One of my guy friends who I have previously hooked up with um, we've discussed numbers, how many people we've slept with. And mine is, mine is really high because I was sexually active when I was young, like, you know, beginning of high school. I always had a boyfriend. And then when I was in college, I was raped. And from that, I just started sleeping around totally, like, you know, just fucked a bunch of guys to kind of help me work, um, work through that. So he's a close friend, and, and he'll kind of make jokes of like, "Oh, like you're so experienced, and and you're an expert, and you know, and, and kind of all of these things." Just like referring to how many people I've been with, and I guess a part of me wants to tell him, like, you know, this only happened because of this pain I was in, and I also feel like it's really gendered because I don't think he would be saying this type of stuff to a guy friend who has fucked like, I don't know, what, 60 or 70, you know, women. So I guess my question is like, what's the best way to shut this down? Do I be honest about kind of about what has happened in my past? And I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right path because it just feels too deep and I don't really like to talk about it with people kind of beyond my therapist <laughs> or do I just say knock it the fuck off like I don't like it when you refer to me like this or how do I what, what's the best way to shut this down I think the best way to shut this down is to cut this asshole out of your life 
you can tell him the reason why your particular number is so high in your particular case, but your number would be okay and it would be your number and nothing you should be slut shamed about or constantly denigrated for whether you had ever been sexually assaulted or not. A woman with a high number doesn't have to justify that by pointing to trauma, even if it had been a free choice and not you acting out in the way that with the help of your therapist, you now regard yourself as having been acting out at that time to process your trauma and pain and work through it. Even if you hadn't been acting out and you'd slept with this many guys, you should not be slut shamed by this asshole for your number. And so you can tell him the truth if you think it'll help. But I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't tell him this fact about myself uh, that I didn't feel comfortable sharing with him. And you shared a fact about yourself and he hasn't exactly respected or honored that confidence that you placed in him. He hasn't treated you well. Can he be trusted with this other information about you? Knowing what we know now about this friend of yours, knowing how rude and inconsiderate and shitty he's been to you about the number of guys you've slept with, can you say with some assurance, do you believe that if you confided in him about your sexual assault, about this rape, that he will handle that with more care and concern or compassion or emotional intelligence than he's handled your number? I'm not sure whether the answer to that is yes or no, but I would err on the side of not continuing to invest this asshole with my trust if I were you. So here's how I would shut it down. I would cut him out of my life. If you want to give him a second chance, I would say, you're doing this thing where you throw this number in my face and it's inconsiderate, it's rude, it's misogynistic, it's sexist, and it's slut-shaming, and it stops or our friendship is over. And it stops now or our friendship is over. No more strikes. This is it. This is your warning, your one and only warning. Knock this shit the fuck off. Get angry at him. And you don't have to tell him why you're as angry as you might be, and you don't have to tell him about anything else. And it should be irrelevant, and it is irrelevant. So slap him down. If he doesn't take the hint, doesn't take the slap, show him the door. Hi, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Uh, I am a 24-year-old female from the Midwest, and I am calling uh, with a question about um, a family member. So my parents got divorced um, about three or four years ago, and my dad uh, started doing some online dating after that. And he um, started dating this woman pretty much right after my parents got divorced. He, like, put his relationship on Facebook the day that their divorce was official, which was not the most um, tactful way to go about it. But anyway, so they have been dating for a couple of years now, and they are getting married in two months. And I um, just have a really hard time getting along with this person, uh, I have a younger brother um, who still lives and with my dad, um, and I don't I, I don't know how to describe like how strange my dad's fiance is. She um, is very possessive; is like always has to like have a hand on my dad. Is like always having to like hold his hand or have her hand on her arm or, or on his arm or like on his thigh, and it's really just like uncomfortable how often she has to be touching him. Um, she really makes a point to like correct me on like if I make a joke that she doesn't like, she takes it really literally and she'll correct my joke or she will um, 
like make sure that I know that she's more involved in my dad's life or my brother's life than I am by like pointing out things that I missed or that I don't know about. Um, he also uh, doesn't want my mother to be mentioned in her presence. Um, like to the point where my, my brother was going through a hard time and my mom was, you know, calling my dad just like, Hey, let's talk about this thing that our child is going through. And my dad wouldn't call my mom back because it made his girlfriend so mad. And my parents get along pretty well for divorced people. And I, I get really frustrated. This person, my dad's fiance doesn't even want me to mention my own mother in her presence for a while. She was like tracking my dad's location on her cell phone all the time. I just think she's really strange and I don't enjoy being around her at all. And so I I get it. I'm an adult. It's not my relationship. My dad's an adult. He's divorced. He should get to date whoever he wants to date, but they're getting married and I really don't like her and I really don't like being around her. And my dad will ask me like, is it okay with you that we're getting married? And I'm like, I don't know why you're asking me that question if you don't want the real answer. So I don't know. I guess my question is like, is this something that I should talk with my dad very honestly about? Or should I just realize it's none of my fucking business and totally stay out of it? Because I don't want to be a menace to his relationship or like stand in the way of my dad being happy either. Although I don't know how this person makes him happy because I think she's really strange. I have a theory about why your dad is asking you if it's okay for him to marry this woman. Okay. And that is he doesn't want to marry this woman. See, that's my thought too. And he needs, he needs an excuse not to marry this woman. He needs you and whoever else is willing to march in and stage an intervention to say that this insane behavior requiring you to pretend that your first wife with whom you still have parenting duties to perform doesn't exist and isolating you increasingly from your family, from your children and, and, and tracking your movements. This is controlling abusive behavior. Maybe she hasn't punched you. But there are ways that people can be abused and wind up, you know, tiptoeing around an abuser uh, and having their lives warped and destroyed without ever getting hit. It was just so confusing, like, when he proposed because he did it and then told us afterward. Um, And I was, like, not really surprised, but my brother is um, going to college. He's in college. And um, she works at a university. And one of the things she kept telling my dad was, if you and I got married, you know, then your son could go to college at a discount. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like really like always trying to like convince him, you know? And so I don't know if he's just kind of being a pushover or what. Does your dad need the savings? Will it make a difference financially for your family in a big way? If your son gets a, pardon me, if your brother gets discounted tuition? I mean, not like in a huge way. My, my mom has saved a lot of money for my brother Mm-hmm. So, like, they'll be okay. I don't think that that's, like, the sole reason. I don't know if he just wants to... Well, and when my parents got divorced, my dad did some online dating, and he dated some, like, younger, really attractive women. It just doesn't seem like she has a lot going for her, so that's why I get so confused. Mm-hmm. You know, if your dad was like, I'm getting married, and you guys, you know, got a funny look on your face for a second, and dad blew up at you about how he needs you to be supportive and how dare you judge his love for this woman, but that's not what he's doing. You guys are getting funny looks on your faces and your dad is going, is it okay if I marry this person? He's begging you, I think, potentially to say, no, it's not okay for you to marry this person because it's going to really harm your relationships with us. And that's her goal. And people who engage in controlling abusive behaviors as this woman 
is doing and has done, those controlling abusive behaviors tend to escalate once getting out of the relationship is more difficult than it was previously. Once you're married, once you have a kid together, once it's harder to extricate yourself, they typically turn up the temperature. So this is going to get worse. And you should say yeah. that to your dad. Yeah. And it's hard because when he keeps asking me, you know, um, you know, is it okay with you? At one point I looked at him and I was like, if it wasn't okay with me, what would change? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, nothing. I'd still marry her. And so I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> well, speak your piece. Even so, speak your piece. Go to him and say, okay. I don't think you should marry her. Dan Savage doesn't think you should marry her. <laughs> These things are red fucking flags. If yeah. you decide to marry her, I will love and support you. I am not going to tiptoe around her. I'm not going to pretend my mother doesn't exist. Neither my brother's not going to pretend my mother doesn't our mother doesn't exist. She's going to have yeah. to do some fucking growing up. And if it reaches a point where we can't see you with her there, then we will only see you without her there. Yeah. And I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I think my main concern is like, you know, my it's my dad's life. I really want him to have a relationship that he wants to have. And so I was like, am I being like bratty or selfish by saying like, well, I don't like your fiance. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be like, be hindering his happiness, but I just think she's so strange and like controlling yeah, and but insecure. It, she's very insecure. There's a difference between I don't like your fiance because of their religion or their race, or they look at me funny, right. or I don't like the kind of food they eat, or I don't like how big they are or how kinky they are or that they're polyamorous. Like there are unfair reasons to be like, I don't like your fiance. I want to screw up this relationship for you. But your fiance has demonstrated that they are uncaring, a bit crazy and controlling and potentially abusive. That is a completely legitimate reason to go in there and say, I don't think you should marry this person. Yeah. That's when you got to step up when it's difficult, when it's hard, Mm -hmm. friends and family, you got to step up at these times. And then he he makes his own choices and you can love and support him. And when when the wheels come off, you're going to have to look in a mirror and practice uh, not making the I told you so face when your dad comes Mm -hmm. to you to complain about how he's being treated or comes to you to say he's needs to find a good divorce lawyer. I know. Because you don't want to dis- yeah, you don't want to disincentivize him breaking with this woman eventually, whether he marries her or not. And if he doesn't yeah. want to give you the satisfaction of telling you that you were right, he might stay with her another six months or four years. Well, they're getting married in two months, so it's coming up pretty rapidly. And how here. long have I they mean, how long have they been going out? About two years, and they got engaged right after Christmas or before Christmas, and they're getting married in May. So it's a pretty quick okay, but it's turnaround. Not, but it's not a rapid marriage necessarily. It's not like no, they were dating. They were dating since before my parents were like officially divorced. So right. yeah, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. Go tell your dad. Go answer that question. Somebody asks you for your opinion, you have a right mm-hmm. to share it, whether they want to hear it or not. Okay. And sometimes the most important opinion to share with a loved one is the one that they don't want to hear. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, um, long-time listener and huge supporter of you sharing your advice and your opinion. I don't always agree, but I do value your thoughts. In a fantastic, loving, new-ish relationship, and I'm really trying to master 
uh, deep throat oral sex for him. I really enjoy it. It really turns me on. But I have a hard time breathing, and he has a substantial cock, which is wonderful. But when it hits the back of my throat, I am feeling like I am suffocating, can't breathe, and then feel apprehensive about allowing him to really thrust into my mouth, which really turns him on, turns me on, which is awesome. Would love any advice or insight into how to really get past this challenge. I'm sorry, but I only give deep throating tips to people who agree with me 100% of the time about everything. So you're on your own. No, no, I will make an exception just for you. Yeah, if you're going to deep throat somebody, there will be times you can't breathe. It's a little like swimming. There will be times you can't inhale, times you can't get air because your head is underwater. You just dived or you're doing that part of the stroke where you're looking down into the pool. I'm not a swimmer. I don't know all the technical terms for this. And you just have to get used to that and breathe when you can, which is when the dick isn't down your throat and blocking your air. It helps, I think, if you're learning to deep throat. It helps with the panic of, oh, my air is cut off right now. If you are in control of the throating of the cock, not the person fucking your face, but you, that you, instead of laying back with your head tilted off the bed, allowing this person to fuck your throat, and that's a really good position to do it in, that you are sliding your mouth and your throat down on their dick and then lifting up, and it pops out of your throat, and you can take a little inhale, get a little air, and slide back down. It really does help to control for that panic if you're in charge, if you're in control of when the dick is down your throat. So if you've been experimenting with deep throating where he is doing the fucking and he is holding your head and pushing his dick down your throat, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Have him lay back, straddle him, slide his dick into your mouth and down into your throat. Come up when you need to, breathe when you need to, go back down when you need to. You in charge, you in control at all times. And as with all blowjobs, deep throat or not, mix it up. There may be times when you're deep throating him and then times when you are using your hands, times when you are licking the balls, times when you're taking a break, but keeping the dick engaged, keeping the dick active, keeping it all nice and wet and sloppy while giving yourself a break, giving yourself some time to get more oxygen to your brain. And I really do think you need to do that because I predict if you get more oxygen to your brain, you'll start agreeing with me more often. Typically how it works. We're going to take a quick break from your calls before we get right back to your calls for Second Opinion, our regularly, semi-regularly occurring segment where we invite other advice professionals, other advice podcasters and columnists onto the show to talk about the advice racket, how they got into it, and to play a couple of questions for them and have an advice off. Joining us today for Second Opinion, Minda Honey is a full-time writer and relationship advice columnist for Leo Weekly in Louisville, Kentucky. Her work has appeared on Teen Vogue, The Washington Post, The LA Review of Books, The Establishment, and other sites. You should follow her on Twitter at Minda Honey, which is where I found you, Minda. I found you on Twitter. <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> and why? How did I find you on Twitter? Um, so I'm a little embarrassed by that because I intentionally didn't tag you because I didn't want to seem overly aggressive. So I thought I would send out this cute tweet announcing the most recent um, installment of my column. And I tweeted that I was trying to, I was just in these relationship streets trying to knock Dan Savage back on the sidewalk. But apparently, <laughs> Dan Savage or his team is 
super on it. And <laughs> yeah, I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet. I'm not above the occasional, well, the daily vanity search or searches plural. And I saw that. I thought, oh, Minda, honey, she's throwing down. She is calling me out, but not brave enough to at me, but calling me out just the same. So when did you start writing an advice column for the Leo? I started in October. So I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and I've been living out West in Southern California and Denver for the past eight years or so. And I recently finished up getting my MFA in creative writing, decided to move back home to Louisville. And of course, all of my LA friends thought I was crazy. I was also, um, I didn't realize when I decided to move back to Kentucky that Trump was going to be our next president or I might have, you know, waited it out four more years. So as soon as I got home, I approached the local alt weekly and just through chatting with the editor, we decided that I would be perfect to write a relationship advice column. I'm in the process of writing a memoir about dating in Southern California as a black woman Mm -hmm. called an anthology of assholes. So... (laughs) Well, it should be a pretty uplifting read. Oh my gosh, I can't wait! You know, I lived in Louisville for a summer in the uh, early, yeah, in the late '80s or mid '80s, Uh, and it's it's a beautiful town. I used to ride my bike uh, over the river to the other side, and uh, it's lovely. And Louisville is one of those blue dots. We talk about red states and blue states, and in reality, there's no such thing. As a blue state, there are just red states with big cities that are big and blue enough to flip the state into the blue column. Mm. Uh, And Louisville is a great blue city, but not big enough yet to flip Kentucky into the blue column, unfortunately. Well, hopefully more people like myself continue to move back home to Louisville and we can, you know, grow that dot. That's one of the things that people said in the wake of the Trump election that the you know people are clumping up that so many liberals and progressives are clumping up on the west coast in california and oregon and washington or on the east coast and if we really want to save the country we need to move to iowa and kentucky and god help us alabama <laughs> i'm not willing to well, do I'm it doing I'm, my I'm, part. <laughs> I'm glad you're taking i'm glad you're taking that one for the team because i am uh as much as i enjoyed being in louisville for the summer and as much as i'd like to come back and visit sometime uh, and bike over those awesome bridges again. I just don't think I have it in me uh, to live in <laughs> Louisville. So, advice. Why did you think you were qualified to give an, to, to write an advice column? I think just because I am one of those people that did everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I dated my high school sweetheart for six and a half years, and then moved to California, where we promptly broke up six months later. And that left me at 23 as someone who had no adult dating experience in, you know, in the big city. So I went through a lot of guys and um, (laughs) never, never quite found the right one, but just had like all of these experiences. And once you've kind of been through it, uh, now I'm like, now I'm like 30, I'm 32. So once you get in your thirties, you have a lot more perspective about your twenties. I'm a big sister. So I'm used to like giving advice to my little sisters all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like, you know, I felt like I could help people, um, you know, do not make the same mistakes that I made essentially. Can I ask you an awkward question? Go for it. My column used to run in the Leo weekly. Does it still? 
Or did, or did you bump me? Weekly. Oh, good. Phew. <laughs> I bumped you to the back of the pay. I bumped you to the oh. back of the weekly. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable riding in the back of the weekly bus. I actually am. With, I'm always happy to be with the sex ads and the the personals. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing, though, is that sometimes I meet people who haven't read my column, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm the relationship advice columnist for the Leo Weekly. And then they get like this very confused look on their face. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 that white man you're thinking of is that Dan Savage. He's <laughs> nationally syndicated. I am your local black woman relationship advice columnist. And then they're like, oh, okay. Well, I've been reading your column after seeing you call me out on Twitter, after seeing you throw down <laughs> and say you were coming for me on Twitter. I, I went on to Leo. I read a bunch of your columns. They're really good. So oh, that's why you. I invited you on, not just because I wanted to, you know, see who's coming for me, but I invited you on because <laughs> I read a bunch of your columns and I thought they were really great. So let's take a couple of questions, shall we? Sure. Hey, Dan, uh, mid-20s, straight male, West Coast. So listen, I got a question about picking up girls. So, you know, I guess I'm a pretty smart guy, and it seems like a lot of people, girls and guys, will gravitate toward me in class. I go to university out here, and they look to me for help. You know, they want to borrow my study guide, or they want me to take a picture of my notes and give it to them, stuff like that. Uh, depending on my mood, I'm willing to give it to them. You know, but it come, when it comes to girls, like, um, just now, there's this really hot chick in one of my classes. You know, she asked me for my notes. I'm wondering, you know, is it a, is it a dick move to use my notes as sort of leverage to potentially see if she'll go out with me? Uh, it seems kind of weaselly, I guess, especially when I say it out loud. <laughs> but, you know, I'm kind of in a rut right now. You know, I'm not a bad-looking guy. I'm in shape and everything I just said. I've been having some trouble with girls ever since I broke up with my girlfriend a few months ago, and I haven't really had much action. So it's like, shit, I feel like, what, what the fuck am I doing something for nothing all the time? Um, you know, I come to class every day, and I work hard to take notes. And, you know, I like you, so why not, you know, hey, why not say something like, hey, yeah, here's, I'm happy to give you my notes. By the way, what are you doing this weekend? You want to go out? Something like that. Is that a dick move? Because it seems like maybe I'm being used in the situation. So if that's the case, why not, you know, throw it back at her? And, uh, you know, see if we can't both get something out of this. And then if she doesn't want to go out, it doesn't necessarily mean I won't give her the notes, but at least I'll know where I stand, you know? All right, Minda, you're oh, up. Wow. <laughs> okay, so this guy, um, I noticed he mentioned that he and his girlfriend recently broke up. And I just wonder if maybe through the grief process, he stumbled into some of those, like, MRA holes of the Internet because... All the way up until um, his ask, I was like, what is going on with this dude? Like, why, what is he talking about? And then when he finally tells us his question and he's like, is it okay to like give her my notes and then ask her out? It's like, yeah, that's totally okay. But the, like, the chain of logic leading up to that moment is, is, is what's concerning me with this gentleman. You were wondering uh, if he fell down an MRA rabbit hole on the internet. I was wondering how he ever got a girlfriend in the first place. <laughs> no, I think this is, I think, I mean, maybe I'm just too optimistic, but I want to believe that this is a good guy. And just like when you get in your feelings after a breakup, you mm. try to find like, you know, other people on the internet who can comfort you, who've been where you've been. I mean, that's one of the reasons we have relationship advice columns, right? That's and true. so I think, 
I think maybe this guy just stumbled into some of those like women hating groups that have filled his head with this weird logic where like, no, it's not okay to um, say that it's all right to treat other people like trash because you've recently gone through a breakup, but it is totally okay to uh, initiate conversation with a woman and say, Hey, yeah, totally have my notes. What are you doing this weekend? Like, that's totally cool. Like that's how people, that's how people meet each each other. other. That's what, that's what, that's what, where I went when I was listening to the call. Like you have this opening with her because you're in the same class Mm -hmm. and she's approached you and established contact because she's interested in your notes. If you're interested in her, use that opening, not to just immediately leap on asking her out, but to feel her out, to, to interact with her, to keep, keep socializing with her casually around classes, around notes. And if you establish a rapport and you think she might be interested in more than just your notes, you can ask her out and then get shot down or not get shot down. But what's weird right. is he, the way he frames this in such a commodified way. Like, you want my so notes, weird. I want your ass. Well, that may be true. <laughs> you know, you're attracted to her, you want her ass. She wants your notes. She may or may not be attracted to you. But rolling it out that way, like, I deserve this if I'm going to give you that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this isn't sex work and notes aren't legal tender. <laughs> Nobody needs to pass calculus that badly, or she would, like she would be in the professor's office, not yours, dude. Like, <laughs> but, dude, walk it back. Our advice: I think we're on the same page. If you're falling into MRA and that's men's rights activist rabbit holes on Twitter that are insanely misogynistic, back the fuck away from that shit because that's going to make you toxic to women everywhere. The reason why there's mm-hmm. so many MRA assholes online all the time talking about this shit is because no one will touch their decks because they are repulsive to everyone, <laughs> not just to women. So get away from that shit. And also like take a deep breath mm-hmm. and look at you look at this as an opportunity to see if there might be mutual interest and interact with her around your notes, around the class. And then when the, you, if you get a sense that she actually likes you as a person, ask her the fuck out. How hard is that? <laughs> Well, Dan, I, I mentioned my sisters earlier, and so I asked them, I, I you know, ran this past them because they're younger than me, so I was like, I don't know if college has just changed a lot since I was there, but my baby sister had a good point, too, where if he's getting approached by lots of different girls about his notes and they're attractive, why doesn't he start a study group? You know, like, and then he can get to know a lot of different women and see which one he has a connection with. But always masturbate before the study group so you don't go in <laughs> thinking with your dick. Yeah, no masturbating during study group. No, not, never like, during, not cool. but but before. Drain your After balls. Bef- fine, no, no, no. But know. no, I think before is really the ideal time because you want to go in thinking clearly, not thinking with your dick. If, <laughs> if you are establishing a study group as a kind of proto-harem, you don't want to go in thinking with your dick. All right. Good advice, Minda. That was that we always do two calls for a uh, second opinion. One that's easy, I think, and a little over the plate and one that's more from the Savage Love wheelhouse. Here we go. Hi, Dan. I have a friend that goes to fetish parties and she recently went to one um, where she met a financial sub who was looking for uh, new doms. Like apparently he used to have um, two before, but they moved away. So he was looking for two new ones. Um, My friend says that she thought of me because I've done something like this before. So this was about a month ago. And then like in the month since she's originally asked me, she 
messaged me once asking um, like how to respond to an email. And then yesterday there was like a little mention of it. So we were um, hanging out and she said that he wanted to take a shopping and just have us degrading him and humiliating him the whole time and everything, um, which I said I was totally down with. Just let me know when and where and I'll be there. And then she started talking about how um, he has paid for a trip for her already, that he's given her other presents and things like that. I mean, tell me if I'm being a bitch and selfish, but I kind of thought that this was going to be a situation for both of us. I mean, this entire thing really turns me on and it's really hard to find something like this in my area. So yeah, let me know if there is any type of etiquette in this way that I can tell her that I'm trying to get included a little more or if I need to just back off and let it be. All right, Minda, complications of financial domination and friendship go. Yeah. I mean, I know that this has flavors of, uh, Dom sub relationships, which I'll say I have never personally partaken in. So I might be a little, a little vanilla on this aspect, but I will say I've definitely had complicated friendships. And I think that's what's at the the root here is, um, is that she and her friend really just kind of need to talk about the boundaries of this relationship. It doesn't seem like there was enough discussion on the, on the front end about how this is going to work. Because when I, when I listened to the situation, I mean, I immediately just thought like, okay, well, this friend is the gateway friend. She met the, she met the sub, she's bringing you in on this ticket. You know, you, she's kind of the, the go-to here and you'll, you'll kind of be involved in whatever way she, she dictates. But if it seems like the conversation went more that you guys were going to be equals um, in this situation, then it just seems like there needs to be some clearing up of the issue. And after the friend clarifies what your involvement's going to be, either you can be okay with that or you can decide this situation isn't for you. There's also, you know, you could play the long game too. Like as this relationship develops, there might be more opportunity for you to connect with this sub one-on-one um, in a way that does not involve your friend, which is what she apparently also has going on with him right now. Mm. You see a complicated friendship and I see unrealistic expectations. Her, her, <laughs> well, those two things are usually related. <laughs> her friend met this that Finn Dom sub at a party, knew that she had the caller, hello caller, knew that you, caller, had been in these kinds of relationships before, asked you for a little advice and some pointers, and you gave that to your friend. And then it seems to me that your friend very kindly cut you in on some of the action. She included you mm-hmm. on this shopping spree and probably will include you on others. That she hasn't been splitting everything with you 50-50 right down the middle. Why would you expect her to do that? That would be like a friend of mine calling me up and asking me for some advice about you know his new boyfriend and then me expecting 50% of the blowjobs from that guy. Like, maybe if he threw me one blowjob, that would be nice. He'd be cutting me in. It would be my percentage, my take. I should start demanding that actually considering how many of my friends call me in the middle of the night for advice about guys. But I would never expect like havesies on all the head coming his way. <laughs> and you shouldn't expect havesies on all the Findom shopping sprees coming your friend's way. She met the guy. She landed the guy. You gave her some friendly advice. And she, in a very friendly way, is now including you. And I think that's – I don't even think she was required to do that. Well, I think – didn't she say the guy's looking for two, though? Like he wants two doms. So. Yeah, and, and that's great. So. And, she, and she turned to you and she brought you in at that point. 
the caller. Yeah. She brought you in, and you should be you should be grateful. <laughs> Not me. I, I mean, I wouldn't be complaining at all. Like, <laughs> if I got if I got like one shopping trip out of this a year, I yeah. Gosh, it, I can only if imagine. My, <laughs> if my good buddy's hot new boyfriend gave me just one blowjob over the next couple of years, I'd be ecstatic. But that's not how giving you know sex and relationship advice to your friends works. It's certainly not how giving sex and relationship advice professionally works, as Minda and I can both attest. We that's give a lot true. of sex advice. We get all the headaches, none of the head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you win. I can't top that. We're going to leave it there. Minda Honey, check out her advice column, her terrific advice column. Ask Minda Honey in Leo Weekly. You can find it online, and you should be following, as of today, Minda Honey on Twitter, at Minda Honey. And when Minda Honey knocks me off my perch, when she takes over (laughs) my syndicated sex advice empire, you will know that I played a significant role in making that happen. I slit my own throat today, potentially. You're really good at this. I'm jealous. (laughs) I'm nervous. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it so much. I can see you pulling up behind me in the rearview mirror, and I am nervous. I drive slow. It's okay. <laughs> Good luck with the column. And would you come on again sometime? Oh, absolutely. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old gay male living in the Northeast United States. Basically, I've been seeing this guy for about a year now. We met on Tinder last year, shortly after I broke up with my previous boyfriend. And at first I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere. He's very hot. And I thought it was just going to be like a quick, like fucking, you know, fuck a few times and then move on. But um, I got to know him really well and he's really awesome. And now I've really fallen in love with him and I'm really excited for our future together. I think my anxiety at first about it came from the fact that he had just turned 20, which for me was nothing that I was like, I was willing to pursue it even as a casual relationship because he was hot and I was newly single and I was ready to have some fun and he was into it and I was into it. But a lot of my friends were, from college specifically were really judgmental about it. Like at the time that I met him, I was out of college for about 10 months. And now it's like almost two years that I've been out of college. Meanwhile, he still has a year left at this point. And I guess I've had some kind of like annoying conversations with friends that have passed judgment on that and made me feel weird about dating him. My- Okay, 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 okay. You're 23, he's 20. This is not any sort of age gap that you should be self-conscious about. It's not any sort of age gap that requires your friends to rush in and give you grief. And sometimes that's what friends should do. People should rush in in certain circumstances to give people grief just so that person then thinks about whether they're being exploitative, thinks about whether they're taking advantage of someone's youth and inexperience and examines their motives, examines their actions, interrogates their feelings to make sure that they're not, in fact, being exploitative or taking advantage. And then that person goes to their friends and says, fuck off, leave me alone. It's fine. We're in love, even with this age difference. And in your case, the age difference is so minimal that I'm surprised you're wasting any time defending yourself from your friends. And I'm surprised you're wasting my time hemming and hawing like this. Your call came the same day that the news broke that Independence Day big blockbuster director Roland Emmerich was marrying his boyfriend. This guy has been seeing since 2009. Roland Emmerich is 61 years old. His boyfriend that he's been seeing since 2009, eight-ish years ago, is 28 years old now. So 
yeah, I don't think you have much to be self-conscious about here. I think you can date with a clear conscience, someone who's two or two and a half, three years younger than you are. And any of your friends who give you grief, brush them the fuck off brusquely and unselfconsciously and stop rationalizing and justifying this relationship to yourself. There is no issue here. There is no there there right there where you are. No there. No there there at all. Date the boy. Have fun. Hey, Dan. Uh, I had sort of a broad question for you. I just wanted to know your thoughts on involuntary celibacy. I'm sure you know what it is, but I'll just uh, explain it. It's basically when someone tries to have a sexual relationship for more than six months and is unable to in that time period. Uh, for me, it's been 10 years. And I've tried a lot. You know, I make sure that I get out there and go and do things socially uh, to try and meet women. I relationships with people who I know who I'm attracted to. Um, and that that isn't really working for me. And I've I have actually been on three dates in the past 10 years, you know, woohoo. But uh, they didn't end the way I really wanted them to. So, I mean, there could be a number of different reasons for this. There are a few things I'm struggling with. I mean, I have schizophrenia and I have for 12 years, but I'm dealing with it and I'm at a point where I think I could have a relationship. I mean, I did for the first couple of years that I had it. I, I dated a few women, but I don't really think that anything I'm trying is working for me. And there's no literature out there. No one's written a book about involuntary celibacy. No one has uh, really spoken about it uh, on the podcasts that I listen to uh, where people talk about sex. So I was just hoping to get your input on this issue. Involuntary celibacy is a term that you should put down and back the fuck away from. It is a term used and preferred by really demented men's rights activists, more demented than your average men's rights activist, uh, people who rationalize or have justified or even lauded uh, men who in their frustration have murdered women, people who've shot up health clubs, people who've shot up universities because they were angry about their lack of success with women have described their plight as the plight of the involuntary celibate and the anger and rage, justified rage, they would argue, of the involuntary celibate. So involuntary celibacy is a concept that you don't want to be associated with because what that says to anyone who hears it come out of your mouth and what that does to you if you self-conceptualize uh, around that concept is it just makes you seem toxic and dangerous uh, and angry and desperate. And you don't want to seem to be any of those things if you want to successfully date someone and have sex again. Two practical approaches to dating and having sex. The first is consider seeing a sex worker. Consider paying for it and don't let that shred your self-esteem. Lots of people pay for sex. Sometimes it's explicit and sometimes it's exactly what we think it is. It's hiring an escort. It's seeing a sex worker. Uh, sometimes it's a commodified transactional long-term relationship. There are people who have sex with people that they would rather not be having sex with because that person pays the bills. There are people out there like, I don't know, the first lady who probably entered into relationships for the money. And there are plenty of sex workers who've made this point that there are a lot of women out there who are doing a form of sex work, but they're called wives instead of sex workers, even though they are just there for the support. So I would recommend rather than stewing in never-ending sexual frustration, going and seeing a sex worker. 
and being open with her. So many of my sex worker pals tell me that a large part of their job is often just talking with a guy. And that helps the guy learn to speak with women. If the guy can come into that encounter not angry about having to pay for it, if that guy can come into the encounter feeling like it's an opportunity, an opportunity to have sex, an opportunity to practice their sexual skills, and also practice their interpersonal skills and become more relaxed around women, even if this woman that you're practicing with is someone whose time you have to pay for. So see a sex worker. Don't stew in frustration endlessly. See a sex worker. The other thing I would urge you to do is look around. Everything that you're saying, I have uh, a mental illness. I haven't been on a date in a very long time. I'm having a difficult time finding someone. To, I hear this from women too. I get letters and calls from women who are in your exact circumstance and are as frustrated as you are. I'm sure this isn't something you lead with when you're putting yourself out there. Perhaps it should be. I am in this circumstance. I know that there are women out there in this circumstance too. Let's at least hang out. Let's see if we can't make a connection. Let's see if we aren't the solution to each other's nearly identical problems. And if you can frame it where it's not dipped in rage, where it's not dipped in anger and resentment, and you reach out to people who may be suffering the way you are suffering, you may find a real connection. It may not be with someone who is a supermodel, or maybe it will be with somebody who is a supermodel. You never know. But you sound like an average person who's suffering what is an all too common circumstance, a problem. And I would encourage you to look for and reach out to other average people, women who may be in the same circumstance and suffering from the same problem after you've seen a sex worker a few times. So you're not going into those meetings, those first few coffee dates, clearly so horny and desperate for sex that you're not really present. And again, Put the term involuntary celibacy down and back the fuck away from it. I guarantee you that almost all women who hear that term either regard it as a red flag or ought to regard it as a red flag. So my heart goes out to you. You sound like a good guy. You sound like you haven't been pickled yet or turned by the angry misogynist bullshit on the internet. But back away from whatever you've been reading online about involuntary celibacy and the people who promote that concept, lest you become pickled, lest you become a shitty misogynist. Because once you become a shitty misogynist, I guarantee you, then you will never, ever get laid ever again in your life. Hi, Dan. My name is Jen. I actually have a religious question for you. I am a 48-year-old married female living in Wisconsin. One of your favorite states, I know, other than the little tiny circle around Madison. I know I live in a complete hellhole, but I live in the Milwaukee area and I have been married 20 years, together 24 years, and we have been open in our relationship for the last six years and also have fairly actively participated in the BDSM community. So we are a bit of an anomaly in this area, but I love that. And my question for you is that I'm not religious. I believe that everyone has the right to free will and that no matter what you choose, that it's your right to choose. And 
I don't know if there's a higher power or not. So I guess maybe I'd call myself a little bit of agnostic, but I don't necessarily believe in anything and hence I don't pray. And when friends post on Facebook or places like that, that they're asking for your prayers in because they're going through something, I don't know how to respond because I want to let them know that I'm thinking of them and I'm hoping everything is well, but they're not going to get a prayer out of me. And I I don't know how to answer that. And so thinking of them seems kind of random. So anyway, Dan, I thought I'd ask you that, and I hope that you have a great day. Okay, so your BDSM practices and your polyamory, all that's really irrelevant to the question. As an atheist, what do you do when someone on Facebook who you know and you're friends with asks you to keep them in your prayers because they're going through a tough time? You just say, you're in my thoughts. I'm thinking of you. Because what are prayers? Prayers are thoughts that we address to our magic sky friends. And you are capable of thinking thoughts and keeping someone in your thoughts without wrapping it up in prayer gift wrapping and UPSing it to Jesus in heaven. So just say, when they say, I'm going through this tough time, my house burned down, my kid's in rehab, my mother has cancer, I have lymphoma, just say, oh my God, that's so rough. I'm so sorry. You are in my thoughts. That is the atheist dodge to that request. But it's also what people who actually pray are doing. Even people who believe it's what they're doing. They're thinking thoughts and sending them to heaven. You are thinking thoughts, period, the end. But the praying friend and the atheist friend are both essentially doing the same thing, thinking thoughts. So when people ask you for their prayers, tell them you're thinking thoughts. Tell them they're in your thoughts. They will round that up to prayer if they need to or prefer to. Or they will grok your meaning, as the kids were only too recently saying, and now will stop saying after they hear me say it, if they know you to be an atheist. Hi, Dan. I'm calling with a comment for episode 543 to the woman who had an affair, and her college-age daughter is really upset with her. So I used to be that daughter. My father had an affair with a woman uh, after a 20-year marriage with my mom. And I was 19, and I was very, very upset with him. I never wanted to meet his mistress. I was terribly, terribly upset. But all I can say is give it time, because now, eight years later, uh, the mistress is my stepmother, and I love her very much. And she is perfect for my father. I can see now he was in a loveless, sexless marriage, and his new wife is so much better for him. And she is now a person to me and not an evil mistress. This is about the guy in episode 543 who has a tight foreskin. I had this problem growing up and into my late teens. And he should absolutely talk to a doctor. But he can also stretch his foreskin gradually by practicing by himself, pulling it down over the head of his penis when he has an erection. He should do this even when he's got splitting going on. It puts tension on his foreskin, which is what's causing the splitting. But if he works on it long enough, it'll gradually stretch out and heal in a way that is more looser and comfortable for him over some months or a year. Weird analogy, but think ear gauges. Anyway, it worked for me. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Just a comment on the scheduling of sex. My boyfriend and I find it pretty hot. We don't get to do it as much as we'd like. He travels a lot. I'm in grad school. 
but scheduling it makes it something to look forward to. It's super sexy to pick out something to wear and get ready and know that he's thinking about it all day long. And we're going to leave it there. Quick reminder, we have a live taping of the Savage Lovecast coming up in Portland, Oregon on April 14th, our Easter Spectacular at Revolution Hall. Go to portlandmercury.com slash Easter for tickets and more information. We're going to have guest surprises, crucifixes. Rachel Lark is coming up to sing for us. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to be there, and you're going to want to be there in person. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow my bitter, bitter rival, Minda Honey, on Twitter at Minda Honey. And be sure to read her column in Real Weekly. Get your ITMFA swag at itmfa.org. Support Planned Parenthood, the International Refugee Assistance Project, and the ACLU. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week for an installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for